right, guys. First uh, Corinthians chapter one is where we're going to be at this morning. But and throw a curveball. I love doing this last minute without anything being on the screen. If you want to go to, Re- go to Revelation chapter three, always seem to end up there somehow. Revelation chapter three, and it's not going to be on the screen. If you got your Bible, iPad, something, phone. Um, so we're <clears throat> entitling this message a reminder heading into the new year. And so I kind of made some of these comments in the prayer room if you're in there. Um, but man, we, can't, we come back from Kansas City, and the way I, I describe, uh, I would describe my spirit after leaving Kansas City is refreshed. Um, I, I told, I said, mentioned this, but you know, we have this thing in the South where uh, people still go to church oftentimes, but there's sort of a good old boy church mentality. Uh, we go to church so that when mom asks, even if you're grown, so that when mom or grandma, Paul asks, "Did you go? You been going to church, boy?" Yeah, I've been going to church. Um, but there, but there's I mean, something in Kansas City that you know, just the spirit of of a desperation to to know the Lord in a, in a deeper way, to grow in the Lord, to grow in His Word, um, to make the work of the Lord. Uh, we say this all the time, but to literally make it their whole life. Not for it to be a compartmentalized section of their life, but it, for, for it to be their whole life. And so I, I was prepping this sermon before, like while we were on the, doing the airport stuff at Hartsville Jackson, because everybody knows you don't get it out of that place quickly. Um, and so it was before all that, but I think it, go, it goes with that. And so Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 1, he, uh, he gives some reminders to the church of Corinth. Now he spends most of the book in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, <coughs> sort of in a, in a, if I'm being honest, sort of land blasts them um, for their carnality. Uh, f- you know, and he gives them some reminders, pretty much letting them know, hey guys, you already know this, but you need to be called into remembrance of some, of some things. And so he does that, and, uh, and, and I believe that 1 Corinthians is one of the clearest books that parallels the Laodicea in church. Now, it's, it's all home folk here this, uh, this morning. We know what Laodicea represents, and, and we find that here in Revelation 3, so I'm going there. Um, and and he, he lays out what it is that the Laodiceans, which repre- represents this time period that we're in at the end of the church age, represents uh, really as a whole what the church seems to, the testimony of the church. And so I would propose to you that 1 Corinthians, that we have, maybe not here in this building, but as a whole in the church today, we have the most common with the church of Corinth. Now, I made this comment, so I'll make it again in case you're thinking this. I don't know of anybody that's sleeping with a stepmom because that happened in 1 Corinthians 6, and that's strange. So I'm, I'm not saying for every aspect. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul says, For ye are carnal and are babes in Christ. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time in here talking about seven stages of spiritual growth making discipleship a huge part of the fabric of, of, of who we are and what we do. And that is because a, I believe one of the scariest places to be, and we, we all know people this way, one of the scariest places to be, is to be is to get saved and then to go their whole life and never grow, never serve the Lord, never learn the Word of God, never allow the Spirit of God to work through their life, through the Word of God, and then go to the judgment seat of Christ. And to be saved, yet so as by fire. 
And so the, the book of Colossians is our greatest charge as Laodiceans, but, the, but the, the book of 1 Corinthians, I would propose to you, is our greatest parallel. And so if you're in Revelation chapter 3, he says this, and, and, and again, this is verbatim, we know these, these verses, but it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Why would he get so nauseous about that? Uh, verse 17, this is oftentimes the attitude of Laodicea. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In verse 18, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we talk about this verse so much, but it's so alarming. Jesus talking to his people that the Spirit of God lives inside. Yet he says, Behold, I'm on the outside. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. And if you want to turn your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I mentioned this verse a second ago, but we'll, I'll quote it to kind of show us a parallel here, because we see that Laodicea is a church and a people that says, I'm increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, and almost to say, hey, we, I've got money in the bank. And so that is the litmus test. Uh, for success in this life. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And so, really, as we dive into this, again, and you can be turned over to 1 Corinthians 1, as we dive into this, again, man, I just think there's some simple reminders that as we exit 2023, we can do some reflecting, but we can also do that these also can be a charge as we go into 2024 in our own individual lives. Brian Clark uh, preached one of the sermons at, at Mission Focus. And he, he preached out of the book of Esther, which was cool for me because we're going through the book of Esther in the youth group. And he made some parallels. Essentially, Queen Vashti, who was the, the queen at the beginning of, of the book of Esther, she's removed as queen. And she was a Gentile queen. She's removed as queen. Because she, she did not submit to the authority of her king. Now, I'll be honest, you go read the story, it's a weird story. You can see, like, well, I get why she didn't submit. Okay, but it, it pictures something for us. And then what happens in chapter 2 is Esther comes in, and she's a Jew. And what that story pictures for us is really what the whole reason of the rapture of the church is. I don't know if, you're, if we've ever talked about this or you know this. The rapture of the church, in part, is, is a big deal because Jesus calls his bride home. But really, the reason that he does that, because we know this church age is a 2,000-year parenthesis. We've talked about that. It's a 2,000-year parenthesis in, in God's timeline of history. And so, so what God does with the rapture is he calls the church home, not just because he, he just loves us so much. And he does. Praise God. But he calls us home because, again, as a whole, the body of Christ becomes almost useless. 
And he's like, you know what? God says, okay, it's time that we move on. We, 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 we redirect our focus back to the Jew, and that's when the tribulation comes. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, and then the millennium, and etc. And so, Brian Clark made this statement, or something to the, the effect of this statement several times, and it really stuck with me, is that at the end of the day, because of the time and frame, the, the time that we live in, as a whole of the church, not greater hope, but the universal, universal church, we are going to lose this battle in the end times. But that does not mean that we have to lose that individually or locally in this body of Christ. And so, I think the way that we don't lose that, I mean, it's, submit yourself to the Word of God. Obey it. But, but in short, I think the way that we don't follow the trend of, of, of American Christianity moving into 2024. And by the way, uh, you can look around over the last year. This church has already thinned some of that out. It's become less conducive for a non-servant to attend Greater Hope. We want them to come. We want everybody to come, but it's become less conducive. And so I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul gives us some things here that can charge us, and they're simply reminders as we, as we reflect this year and we move into next year, that if, we, that if we'll apply and, and remember these things that Paul calls us to remember, it can, it can truly affect and change who we are uh, moving forward. So, Let's read the text. I've already read some text, so we're kind of, it's a long intro. I thought this was going to be short. Tori says to stop saying that. I said in prayer room, I thought it was going to be quick this morning. Um, those are like cuss words these days when I say that because it never happens. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says. He says, For, you see, for you, you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mightled, not many, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We're going to transition into chapter 2 here, continue in context. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, and we'll close here. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd, give, you'd help us in this time. Lord, make your word crystal clear to us. Get me out of the way. I'll just uh, fog it. I will make it blurry. I want you to be the teacher, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to be the teacher this morning. And uh, may, may we apply it and glorify you for doing so in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, a reminder heading into the new year. Again, three simple points uh, this morning that I want to show you from this text. And that is number one, the first one, that Paul reminds us of our calling. Paul reminds us of our calling. Now notice the first verse that we read, verse 26. <clears throat> Again, this whole book, 1 Corinthians, it's a reminder. It's, it's, a, 
it's a, it's a wake-up call, if you will. He's trying to get a hold of the church of Corinth because they're out spending their life on things that are not the work of the Lord. And he's trying to, he's trying to gather them together and to, and to, to send them a wake-up call. And he says, for ye, for ye see your calling, and then notice, brethren. Who are brethren? Well, that's, that's believers. And notice that he uses the terminology, for ye see your calling. So he's not, Paul is not giving the church of Corinth anything right here that they've never heard before. He, in other words, he's saying, hey, you already know what I'm about to say. You know what your calling is. And I've, I've often found in my own life, in my own walk with Christ, it is not the things that I don't know that cause me problems. It's the things that I do know but that I don't submit my life to in obedience. And so he, he reminds them there of this calling. Romans 8, 28, very popular verse, very amazing verse, great promise. I would argue the greatest uh, New Testament promise outside of salvation. He says, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Okay, so when we talk about this calling, before I finish this verse, before, when we talk about this calling, what many people's mind goes to is this, this famous uh, call to, to preach or a, a special calling that is only for, for certain people, you know, certain Christians that have extra spiritual chromosomes in their body uh, or, you know, somebody that is, just has something that we don't possess. No, no, no. Because we're cross, we see this in Romans eight twenty eight. The called is every single person that's in Christ. Okay, so he says in Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Notice, the same people that love God to, are these people. To them who are the called according to his purpose. So, despite our spiritual gifting, because we're all, we're all gifted spiritually different. How, how do we know what we're spiritually gifted in? You just start serving. And, it, and God will begin to direct through church leadership, through what you're good at, uh, and that kind of thing. We're all gifted differently. But it does not negate the fact that every single believer is called into the ministry. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about us being given the ministry of reconciliation. Brother Lee talks about that a lot. But give, we are given, those that are in Christ, those that in verse 17 of, of 2 Corinthians 5, that were made new creatures in Christ, those people were given the ministry of reconciliation. So I used to have friends growing up all the time, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm just not called into ministry. And what they meant by that, they, I think they meant by that, is that they weren't called into being a, a full-time paid position staff member at a church. But they're called into ministry. You're called into ministry. So we wrote it down like this in our notes. Your first subpoint number one. If you have called upon Jesus to save you, then Jesus has called on you. If you've done that, if, if there's been a, a, a day and time and place in your life where you realized you were lost and you were a sinner and that Christ's payment was enough and you called on him for salvation, then instantly in that moment, he placed a calling on your life. And I say this all the time, probably to the point it's getting na uh, nauseating, but I noticed that when I got saved that Christ didn't call me up to the third heaven. He left me here. 
He left you here. And that is because he's placed a calling and a purpose on our life. Again, I read Romans 8, 28 again earlier. But he said that all things work to good to them who are the called. Where, what does the calling lead to? According to his purpose. So whether you're a pastor or a plumber, you've got a calling on your life. And it's the mission of Jesus Christ. So, so your second sub-point in this, in this, this point is that in 1 Corinthians 1, the word call or called shows up 16 times in this book. Only behind the book of, of Romans and the book of Acts is <clears throat> mentioned a lot. Now we know one of the rules of Bible study, one of the points of studying the word of God is that God turns up the volume with emphasis, with repeating himself. And so what Paul is doing here is he's trying to take this carnal church, and again, it applies to the Laodicean age. He's trying to give us a wake-up call. He's trying to give the church of Corinth a wake-up call. In Romans 13, 11, he says this, in that knowing the time, and, and Lee's been going through uh, eternity things, things uh, in the book of Revelation. So we, we should know the time, or at least that it's close. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, same book that we're in in our main text. This is what he says at the end of, close to the end of the book. After he's given him these reminders of this call. Notice what he says here. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not. Man, get a hold of this last statement. For some have not the knowledge of God. Now speak this to your shame. So man, it could be that as I, I reflect in my life in, across, uh, back in 2023, man, it could be that there are some around me that I run into on a consistent basis. It could be that there are some around me that have not the knowledge of God, and that's based on my shame and a lack of awakeness. My lack of alertness. Because I've been coasting. Because I've been chilling. Because I've not called to remembrance these things that Paul has said. And that is, man, there's a call in our lives. There's a purpose in which we live. Now, number two, I want you to see this. Not only does Paul remind the church of Corinth of this calling. But again, I'll beat the drum, but not for specific Christians, but for all Christians. But number two, Paul reminds us of God's formula in this calling. Paul reminds us of God's formula in this calling. And so again, look at verse 26. Notice the kind of people, in, in, such comforting verses. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. But he says, for you for see your calling, brethren. And here's his formula. This is the way God's economy works in the Christian life for those he uses. How that not many wise men after the flesh. So you say, Dylan, I'm not wise. Praise the Lord, you're qualified. Not many mighty. You're not mighty? Praise the Lord, you're qualified. Not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. If you're foolish this morning, at least a little bit, you're, you're qualified for this call in your life. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the, the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world. 
I mean, real simple. Nothing fancy, nothing sexy, real simple. Those things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so, man, that's why many people oftentimes never come to the reality of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is because God uses the base things, the things that are not, to bring to to aught the things that, that shall be. And so, I've experienced this personally, and I've, I've heard testimonies of this, but that's why if you were to go and try to reach a community, a very wealthy community is way harder to reach than a poor community. They don't have, they don't have any need, or at least they think. Whereas in somebody else, man, they're like, man, I, I'm, desperate for the, I'm desperate for something. I'm jacked up. And so this is God's formula. And so this ought to comfort us because... If you're like me, oftentimes when I begin to, to strategize or to think about, you know, going deeper in the work of the Lord or whatever, uh, one of the things that the devil's good at and my flesh is good at is to remind me of my inadequacy. And he'll do that to you too. Well, it's sort of like, like, like the devil and uh, the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 he actually told Eve some things that were true when he talked to Eve. They would know things that are good and evil. And he's, he's right when he tells me that I'm inadequate. And he's right when he tells you that you're inadequate for this calling. But that's the whole point of, of verse 30 in the text where he says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So in other words, every single bit of our sufficiency in this walk is of Jesus Christ. That's why Colossians 2, 6 says, For as ye have received the Lord Jesus, therefore walk ye in him. So the same way that you got saved is the same way that you're to walk in Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you, what did you bring to the table in your salvation? That's it. By grace through faith. You didn't, you didn't have anything that, was, that wowed God. That he said, wow, let me tell you something. <laughs> I need this dude right here. He's something special. We're not special. And so that is the very same way. Paul's letting this church of Corinth know, hey, your sufficiency is of Jesus Christ. And he's placed his calling on your life. And the only way that it'll be fulfilled is if you remember how his formula works. That he doesn't call those that think they've got it all together. He calls those that are in desperation for him to work through them. And so our first sub-point here, God's formula for success is different than the world's. So the world says that the way up is to climb the ladder up. Like the way up is up. But according to the Bible, the way up is actually down. It's humility. It's to humble ourselves. And so notice what Paul says in the beginning of of chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Hey, praise God. Because if you you hadn't noticed, this guy ain't got a lot of excellency of speech. I'm not real uh, deep in the vocabulary. 
He came not with excellency of speech or, or of wisdom, declaring to you, unto you the testimony of God. And then notice verse 4 of, this, of chapter 2. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Now notice again, it still uses the word wisdom. But it's not with man's wisdom. So there are two opposing wisdoms that are offered to us in our daily lives. They're offered in this world. He says later on, but, in, but which is a conjunction, a different, going a different direction. But in, uh, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So, man, which, which approach am I going to take to the work of the Lord? Which wisdom am I going to operate in 2024 in the work of the Lord? James 3.15 has always been an interesting reference to me. He says, this wisdom, and I don't have the previous verses to set the context, <clears throat> but he's talking about a wisdom opposing the wisdom of God. This wisdom, notice it's still called wisdom, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So why is it that God's formula is like this? Well, it's very simple. Our second sub-point. God's formula is different than the world's so that he can get the glory. Notice verse 29, very simple. That no flesh should glory in his presence. So here's a real simple litmus test. As we go into 2024 and we, and I hope our desire individually, each of us, is to say, you know what? Man, I want to I progress in the work of the Lord. I want to abound in it. I want my walk to be deeper next year than it was this year. A, a, a very simple litmus test is, is as we serve the Lord, as we give ourselves to the work of the Lord, obviously the work of the Lord is a supernatural thing. If there's any room or area for me to get glory in that, or that's my approach to that, then I'm not working through God's formula. But if, his, but if it is to his name and to glorify him, then, man, it's profitable. I think about this all the time, and I've been very clear about this in different times I've preached, but, uh, you know, motives are something that I'm always examining in my own life. Because... 1 Corinthians 3 says that he'll try our work of what sort it is. Not of the magnitude of it, but what sort it is. So let's say that the, the magnitude of the work of the Lord that I participate in the rest of my life looks big. But my heart was wrong in it in the, whole, the whole time. Man, it's going to burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. And just think logically with us for a second. How stupid is it to give yourself... Like, you could be out, I could be out playing golf if I'm going to do something selfishly and not profit anything in eternity. <laughs> I could be doing something that's, a little, I'll be honest, a little, a little easier. Because with the work of the Lord, there's, there's opposition. And so, that's a litmus test. The reason that God's formula is laid out in this manner is because He desires the glory from our life. And then number three, I want you to see this. I want you to see Paul... Uh, I want you to see that Paul reminds us of his approach to the calling. Flip over, flip over with me to 1 Timothy 1.16 real quick. It's not on the screen. 1 Timothy 1.16. So we're in 1 Corinthians 1 for our text in chapter 2. 
Well, later on in the chapter, the Apostle Paul, uh, in chapter 11, verse 1, he tells the church of Corinth, he says, follow me. What does that let us know? That, let us know that lets us know that Paul is our example. But in 1 Timothy 1.16, he says this, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. So Paul's about to tell us why he got mercy from the Lord. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What does that tell us? That tells us that Paul is the model for every single person, person that has called upon Jesus Christ. Now that seems extreme in American Christianity. Now notice, he says he's a model, he's a pattern for every person that has believed on him to life everlasting. Not every person that's called to be a missionary, not every person that's in the pastorate, not every person that's a paid staff member, no, no, no. Every person that's believed on Christ. So, he, so, so because of that, Paul, and back at, we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is going to tell us how he, how he approached his calling, how he approached the work of the Lord. And if Paul is our model, then you know what? There's some takeaways that I can say, you know what? Paul approached the work of the Lord like that. You know, that's what, that's what I need to do. I need, I need to approach the ministry the same way the Apostle Paul did. So notice... <laughs> the very last verse we read in this main text, 1 Corinthians 2, 3. So he's, he's been charging the church of Corinth. He's been calling them to some, to some remembrance of some things. He's trying to wake them up, trying to shake them a little bit, trying to sober their mind. And then he, he says this. He says, and I was with you. So he came to, the church, to, this, to this place of Corinth, preached the gospel, built up some saints in the faith, planted a church and this is how he did it he says i was with you three things here that we're going to break down in weakness and in fear and in much trembling a good cross reference for this is philippians 2 12 which says wherefore my beloved as ye have always obeyed not in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation in other words work out what god has worked in not a call to work for our salvation. That's anti-scriptural in the Pauline epistles. But he says, work out your own salvation. Notice the same, the same terminology. With fear and trembling. Now I'll propose to you that these things that Paul lays out in verse 3, this is not what majority of Laodicean teaching and preaching is going to say. They're going to make great of the love of God, and that's certainly true. Praise God for God's love. And they're going to they're gonna make known, you know, those kind of doctrines, but they're not, I mean, this is a, this is a biblical truth that, that Paul, one of the sources that motivated Paul was these three things. So notice, first of all, first sub-point of this, that Paul operated in weakness because he needed Christ's strength. So again, he's laid out in chapter 1, man, that he doesn't call the, the strong. You, you study out this pattern in Scripture. There's, there's kings in the Old Testament of Judah and Israel. They were, they were oftentimes following the Lord, and then they'd get mighty. And man, that's when God stopped using them, is when they got strong. 
So Paul operated in weakness because he needed Christ's strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he said unto me, this, go, this verse goes in direct contradiction for the charismatics that say, man, if you just have enough faith, you'll be healthy. Everything will be good. You'll, you'll have money in the bank. Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived, he, he, he comes to the Lord and asks ask him to remove a thorn in the flesh three times. It was causing weakness to him. It was causing a struggle. But this is what Jesus says back to him in verse 9. Notice this. It's in red. My grace is sufficient for thee. And that seems like a cold re reply by Christ. Paul's the greatest Christian to ever live. He's got a problem that's kind of hindering him. Causing, is making some things, some tasks harder than, they, than they, they necessarily had to be. And so he comes to the Lord and says, hey, God, would you remove it? God, would you remove it? And one more time, God, would you remove it? And Christ says, hey, my grace is good enough. You'll be all right. And he says, for my strength, this is why Christ would say that. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then notice what Paul says here. Most gladly, therefore, this is a hard, this is a hard reality to swallow. Most gladly, therefore, while I rather glory in my infirmities. Why would you do that, Paul? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, he says, therefore, because of what we just read, I take pleasure in infirmities. <laughs> That's hard to say. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Why would he do that? For when I'm weak, then am I strong. The Lord Jesus needed Paul weak. The Lord Jesus needs us weak. That's why he reminds the church of Corinth. He needs us to understand that if in 2024, I'm going to, to indulge myself more deeply in the work of the Lord, it's going to come from weakness. So Paul's our model. Paul approached the church of Corinth in, in weakness. Such a strange thing for such a guy that, that again, the greatest Christian to ever live. But secondly, I want you to notice this. And I have it worded like this for a reason, but I want to give you some explanation before I break it down. But the, the second word there in that was that he, that he came to them in fear. So I, I, I laid it out like this. Paul operated in the fear of the Lord. Now, Dylan, how do you know that that reference there in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 was just the fear of the Lord? Well, it probably wasn't. Paul did have fears that were, that were outside of just fearing God. Well, how do you know that, Dylan? Well, 1 Corinthians 16, 10, he didn't want Timothy to be afraid. He tells the church of Corinth, Now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with, be with you without fear. He was nervous that Timothy would be fearful going into the work of the Lord. 2 Corinthians, these are not on the screen, you just listen. 2 Corinthians 12, 20, he says, For I fear, he's talking to the church of Corinth again, second, second book, For I fear... Lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Paul had fears in the ministry. His fears were that his converts wouldn't actually mature into fully devoted disciples of Christ. Those were his fears. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through a subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul feared 
that his disciples, that their mindset would get off the things of the Lord. They would leave the simplicity of Christ. And so, so, so why do we mention here the fear of the Lord? Okay, because, because fear, as we approach the work of the Lord, fear is a reality. Somebody says, oh man, I ain't scared of nothing. The only person I find in Scripture that has no fear ever was actually Lucifer. So, you know, just kind of think about that. Um, so everybody has fear when it comes to approaching the work of the Lord. And so when we were at Mission Focus, I was sitting beside Tony G. Love Tony G. Uh, Tony Godfrey came, you know, came to our church. And uh, one of the sessions, I think it was Sam's session the last night, Friday night, um, he asked the question, why is it that people hide? And he was talking about serving the Lord. He's talking about engaging in the battle. He said, and he asked the question, why is it that people hide? And me and Tony G, both immediately were like, fear. Now, I think that was his conclusion, Sam's conclusion. I don't say that to say, like, me and Tony G are smart, but it's just because it's a real thing. Fear keeps people. What, what most likely, if you don't engage more deeply into the work of the Lord and your walk with Christ in 2024, it's probably going to be because of fear. And we've said this before, why is it that I don't evangelize sometimes? There's only two options that I can, every time I try to uh, mentally break that down, there's only two options. I'm either lazy and don't care enough, or I'm fearful. And I, I hope it ain't that I'm lazy and I don't care. So more times than not, fear is a, is a real thing. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, but, this, but God hath not given us, it's not on there, but God hath not given us the lowercase spirit of fear. You know what that tells me? That fear comes from a spirit. That's why it's real when we try to engage in the work of the Lord. But that spirit that gives us that fear is not the Holy Spirit. And so, the reason we've, we've laid this out like this, that Paul operates in the fear of the Lord, is because the way that we get over temporal fears, and so that we can serve the Lord in the work of the Lord, is actually by fearing the Lord more than the fears that are temporal. So Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Super important. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want knowledge. I want wisdom. Well, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14.26. Notice this. We're talking about how Paul was able, though he was persecuted, though he had opposition, though he had, had threats to his life, though he had all these oppositions, how was he, how was he able to overstep that and still engage in the work of the Lord. Well, let's do the fear of the Lord. Notice Proverbs 14, 26. <clears throat> in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. You want strong confidence? You need the fear of the Lord. Your fear of the Lord has to supersede those other temporal fears. And again, they'll be there. They'll be real. We have to properly, in a right perspective, fear the Lord. Exodus 20, 20. Notice this. I think this is kind of funny. Well, I'm not going to say that. And, and Moses said, and I have to catch myself. And Moses said unto the people, fear not. Okay, this seems like a contradictory verse. And Moses said unto the people, fear not. Okay, don't, don't, don't be scared. For God has come to prove you. 
And that his fear may be before your faces. Well, that seem kind of like he's telling them two different things, but he's not. He's telling them, hey, the way that you'll not fear is allow the fear of God to be before your face. You know what helps me to evangelize, to engage in discipleship? What helps me to do those things oftentimes when I'm nervous is to think, man, you know what? I'd I'm more fearful of the judgment seat of Christ than I am that. That's more intimidating. That's more scary. And so this is the simplest way that we can analyze our fear. The simplest way, this is not on your handout. You can write it down if you'd like. The simplest way to know if your fear is godly or worldly is this. Does it drive me to the mission or away from it? Does the fear in my life, does it drive me to, the, the fear of God, you know what that does? Man, it drives, me, it drives me to obedience. Temporal fears drive me away from obedience. They drive me to, to, to coasting and being in my comfort zone, staying at my house, my four or five or six, and no more. It doesn't work anymore. My six and no more. It drives me to that. The temporal fear does. But the fear of the Lord drives me to obedience. And so notice what this fear is connected to in this third point. But I want you to notice that Paul operated in trembling. Paul operated in trembling. And this is what modern Christianity is not going to teach us. It's what the Bible teaches us, but not what modern Christianity, American Christianity teaches us. They'll say that the fear of the Lord is just reverential trust. And it is part of it. No doubt about it. We're not to be scared of God that we, we just avoid Him. That's certainly not it. But it's more than just trusting God. It's a fear that gets us up. Gets us off the couch and says, dude, this is serious. Paul trembled at the thought of planting this church, at the thought of, of engaging in souls, that souls were on the line. That made him tremble. So notice there in verse 3 again, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And again, notice the same, the connection with fear and trembling. Oftentimes, we, re we referenced this verse earlier, but Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have al always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, much more than just a, oh, I trust you, God. That should be part of our life. Man, it should motivate me. It should. You know, fear is a great motivator. Well, if you noticed, this thing called COVID that happened a few years ago. Um, I believe COVID is real. I've had it. And I know it's taking people's lives. But a lot of that was a fear thing. And it controlled the world. Fear is a motivator. And you know what? In God's economy... Fear is a motivator. Should we serve the Lord out of love? Yes. Yes. The Apostle Paul is the greatest Christian who ever lived. And it disturbed him to think about not yielding his entire life to, to what matters in eternity. Disturbed him. Made him tremble. Ephesians 6, 5. He says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Notice this. With fear and trembling. Do a word study on those two things and see how often they're, they're connected. 2 Corinthians 5.11, this is really where we're going to land the plane on this, this whole thing of Paul working through the fear of the Lord and trembling. 
to help him engage in the mission more deeply. But he says this phrase that we quote so much in 2 Corinthians 5.11. He says, therefore, uh, or knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And we always use that a lot of times talking about evangelism, and that's certainly okay, but that's not the context here. Notice I put it backwards on purpose. Verse 10 is the preceding verse to verse 11. What's the context of us knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord that makes us want to persuade men? That made Paul want to persuade men? He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that was Paul's, that was what, that was Paul's fear and terror that did not allow him to remain coasting through life oftentimes the way, I, the way I do. Oftentimes probably the way you do. It motivated him. It motivated him. And so, and I, I wrote this statement down and you're going to, after I read it, you're going to be like, you wrote that down? <laughs> no, that was that deep? It's not deep. But it was a song that we were singing at Midtown. And you know, just reflecting a, 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 across my life, the statement just said, simply said this, very simple. He says, the song said, how could I not fully surrender? And you know, I think we'd all admit the Lord's been very good to us individually. But I, I got to be honest, not only, you know, if the Lord would have saved me and done nothing else, that'd be enough for me to fully surrender. But God's done so much more in my life, and especially recently. I would be an idiot not to surrender. Like, I'd be a fool to not surrender all in 2024. It's bad math to not fully surrender. Why would I waste 70 or 80 years here, or 90, for, for thousands there? We said it not long ago, and I actually quoted it when I preached at Grace not long ago, because I was like, that's a good way of putting it. But in eternity, God's no socialist. Everyone that has called upon Christ for eternal life will, will spend eternity with him. But how we rule and reign with him will not be equal. And so I read this verse in prayer room, and this is really my heartbeat, leaving Midtown and throughout this whole, or throughout Mission Focus. And this is my, when I'm analyzing my life in 2023, I, I hope my answer is yes to these, but I want my answer to be yes to these moving into 2024. But he tells the church of Corinth in the same, chapter, the same uh, book, close to the end of the book, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Man, I said this, but abounding in the, in the work of the Lord is a hard thing, but it seems reasonable. But to always be abounding in the work of the Lord? Like, that means we're always, I'm always on this trajectory where, you know, I feel like I'm like this. That seems impossible at times. But man, if I'll call into remembrance these things that Paul has given the church of Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he approached the work of the Lord in a certain way. You know why Paul approached it in weakness, fear, and trembling? Because he knew it was serious more serious than anything else this world has to offer. And he knew he, he in and of himself was incapable. And he needed the Lord to do it through him. And it caused him to be desperate. 
So we laid out this call in Scripture. When you study out the word call in Scripture, <coughs> when you study out the word call in Scripture, it is normally connected with an invitation. So God, God's given us an invite. Hey, not, not only have I saved you, I'm, I'm giving you this opportunity to partake in my work. And you should do it anyway because you're not going to hell. You're, you have an eternity with me. But you know what? I'll reward you if you do it with the right motives. It's crazy. So a call in Scripture is connected with an invitation, but a call in Scripture oftentimes is also at the same time connected with a command. So man, in 2024, may, that, may, that be, may, may we say yes to that call in every aspect of our life. If you're not involved in discipleship, why don't you get involved in discipleship? If you're not actively evangelizing, man, let's get busy evangelizing. You know, if we work through this whole thing of discipleship and everybody that's being discipled is discipled and nobody evangelizes, you know what happens? Nothing. We just chill. So, I'm going to pray. You, you just do business with the Lord. Uh, you can come forward. You're more than welcome to come forward. But if you just want to do business in the seat, we're not, we'll, we'll, we won't do a long, drawn-out invitation. But I'll pray. And then, and then we'll dismiss. And I'll say this, it is all home folk, but I don't, I don't know your hearts. Maybe there is somebody that's crept, that's crept in and they're lost. Your call is to come to repentance, to come to salvation, to come to Jesus Christ. That's your call. Your call is not the mission yet. That happens at the moment of salvation. So if you've not come to Christ, come grab me after service, do whatever. Come down here. Uh, we can get a lady or, or myself or another guy to show you in the Bible how you can do that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, uh, I thank you for, I thank you for how simple the Bible is sometimes and just how direct it is. Because that's oftentimes how I need it. I thank you for how direct Paul was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church of Corinth. Because, like I said, I believe, Lord, I, I think that Laodicea parallels more than any other church, parallels the church of Corinth. Maybe not us individually in this room, majority of the time parallel it, but as a whole, that is what the church today parallels the carnality of, of the church of Corinth. Lord, it's a cancer that we have to guard against every single day, unless it sweep us away unto living unto pleasure unto ourself and to forget why we're even here. I pray that you use this word, you'd, you'd supercharge us going into 2024. Pray that if anybody be lost, Lord, may they not go to hell over pride uh, or caring about what someone else thinks. May, may they have the fear of the Lord over the fear of, the man, over fear of man. The fear of man's a snare. That's what Proverbs says. So Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we go forward. I pray that you'd protect us New Year's Eve, New, Year, uh, New Year's Day. You bring us back safely on Wednesday. I pray that you continue to use Lee. I'm sure he's preaching now. I pray that you'd help him in the next service as well. In Jesus' name, amen.